0: This podcast is sponsored by Strategic Resource Management. SRM has helped more than 1,050 financial institutions add $3.6 billion of value to their bottom lines in areas such as payments, digital transformation, core processing, artificial intelligence, and operational efficiency. Their decades of experience have lowered costs, enhanced revenues, increased productivity, And provided a competitive edge for clients in an environment of constant change. Visit srmcorp.com for more information. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union People, Credit Union Ideas. From member service to digital solutions, credit unions have spent the last year adapting to the new reality of living through a pandemic. And now, almost halfway through 2021, it's becoming clearer which pandemic-related changes are probably here to stay. Consumer payment trends fall into that category. The impact of the coronavirus, or COVID-19, prompted significant behavioral changes to how, when, and where consumers pay for goods. Credit unions must understand those changes and respond to them with adaptability and flexibility to compete with other financial institutions in the market. I'm Casey Mishlevi, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, I speak with Myron Schwartz, Executive Vice President and Payments Consultant at Strategic Resource Management. Schwartz identifies major 2021 payment trends and provides a thorough overview of the factors that drive them, including currencies, large issuers, and the regulatory landscape. He also shares detailed guidance for navigating these new payment trends, and previews nascent trends to expect for the rest of 2021 and beyond. Myron, let's start by assessing the the environment that we're currently in regarding payment behaviors. How have consumer payment behaviors changed in the last year?
1: They've changed in that customers are looking for quick and convenient access to payments. Some of that has to do with how they acquire payment products from their banks or their credit unions. A lot of that also has to do with how they actually make payments, uh, be it to the businesses they're purchasing from or to potentially friends and family that they might be splitting payments with. That's a big piece in terms of the the quick and convenience. They are also looking for a greater level of control over their, their payment activity. Some of that has to do with how they pay, some of it has to do with the information they receive when they make a payment and reporting. Some of it is related to the messaging they get back from their credit unions about what they are spending on and information that the credit unions are providing back to them. I think that's a big piece. The last part of it, I would say, is with COVID in particular, security has become a much more important facet of the payment. And a lot of financial institutions are looking at ways to help improve the the security of payments without disrupting the member experience.
0: Yeah, and coronavirus has thrown a lot of things in the credit union world into upheaval and has caused a lot of institutions to really rethink holistically a lot of the processes that they follow and the way that they're doing things. From your perspective, how have you seen financial institutions adapting to the changing environment so far?
1: Well, I think they've been very reactive in in adapting to these changes. A lot of financial institutions were already working on digital to varying degrees. Uh, The the pace of that investment has changed significantly, but maybe not as effectively as what some of the the cardholders or members of the credit union might have been looking for. They're not necessarily omnichannel. There might be different... Vendors are solutions supporting different aspects of digital, and the activity or the experience someone receives may not be consistent, may be different as they jump across channels, which has been a little bit problematic. One of the bigger areas that I think financial institutions have addressed quite well is making certain aspects of payments easier in mobile payments and certainly in contactless it was a while, I guess, in the, in the scope of COVID since it first happened. But for a while, right, everyone wanted to keep their distance, not hand their card to somebody uh, because of potential transmission. So a lot of the financial institutions are very quick to roll out contactless and promote other type of proximity payment solutions to their to member bases.
0: You're right. It does feel like it's been forever at this point that we've been operating under these changed circumstances. And hopefully we're starting to come out of it, right? The hope is that things will start to feel more normal, but we also know that some of these trends that have emerged during the pandemic are probably not going away. So I wanna look forward a little bit and think about some of the long-term implications of those changes in consumer payments. What are we going to see As we move forward,
1: I think we're going to see consumers having a greater role in all of the various touch points related to a payment, particularly with the route to digital. A lot of financial institutions are pushing more responsibility and more interaction down to the consumer. One, because the digital capability has caught up with what the consumer is looking for there's also some cost avoidance, but most importantly, it's it's what the consumer is looking for. They want to know what they're paying, how they're paying for it. They want to receive that data and reporting, and it's going to require financial institutions to aggregate that data and make that available to their, their members or their customers so that it can be consumed. I think as digital continues to expand, and I think omnichannel is the most overused word out there with respect to, to banking, consumers are going to want to have a consistent experience across any type of channel, and in some cases, any type of payment method that could involve starting an activity in one channel, finishing it in another without having to restart it overall. You can think about certain situations where someone might begin an application for a credit card or even a DDA account through a mobile device. Maybe they don't have all the information, put their phone down, think that their laptop is easier, might still not have all the information, have to walk into a branch. You don't want them to have to re-enter everything at any given point. So going forward, that approach toward, toward Omni Channel and consistent experience across channel is going to be very key. I think the transition to digital really changes what constitutes a footprint. And historically, banks and credit unions operated with retail brick-and-mortar footprints and and didn't really go outside of that. When you think about what digital means, how necessary is a footprint if most of your members, your customers are interacting with you digitally on a mobile device, it changes that. And especially as you look at challenger banks and fintechs that are entering the market, it, it does as well. And that potential dilution of the value of a footprint is going to make it a lot harder for financial institutions to compete for their, their members, or their customers, with others that have very advanced digital capabilities. What that means for financial institutions is they're going to have to be a lot more nimble and flexible and more proactive in deploying solutions and products and services and experiences that their members are looking for.
0: The changes and the kind of adaptability that uh, financial institutions are going to have to make a a lot of that is often informed by not only regulators who, you know, are, are making laws and, and requiring us to be in compliance depending on what they're learning about what's important for consumer protection. But we also would look to some of the largest card issuers as kind of the, the first to adopt new ways of operating and new technologies. With that in mind, what can we expect from some of those larger issuers and from regulators moving forward?
1: I'll adjust the largest one first. I think it's a little bit more straightforward. They're going to continue to invest and innovate, and they have the scale and the people and the dollars to really bring new things to market. And those new things could be different types of products, or it could be specialized use cases for certain products. In some cases... They are offering value propositions that aren't necessarily sustainable for smaller issuers and I think in some cases aren't even sustainable for the, for the largest issuers if you look at certain rewards on mass affluent type of solutions. What I think they're going to do differently that will be hard for smaller institutions to compete against would be their use of data. The largest issuers have, have massive amounts of data and significant resources and infrastructure deployed to capture that and harness it. And I think they're going to continue to refine how they harness that to improve their product development, improve individual offers. And I've been in banking almost 20 years now, and when I started, everyone talked about a, a segment of one. Well, I think a segment of one is... Challenging if you're talking about uh, a chase with 50 or 7 million cardholders. But I do think that level of data and granularity will help them develop very granular segments. And the segments can involve product development. It's also going to involve experiences and offering individuals' unique experiences and interactions both with the financial institution and potentially also as they're making various payments or interacting with their payment products in a way that is very specific and tailored to that individual. On the regulatory side, since you asked, I think that that's always a a bit of an unknown. I think we are seeing with the change in administration, the greater oversight placed on banking institutions and I think a focus on protecting more of the merchant side of the equation as opposed to improving the the banking side if we're talking about certain regulations that touch payments and I think that has a lot of card issuing clients concerned about the economic streams tied to their products.
0: Yeah, and a couple other areas that financial institutions need to be paying attention to are changes in payment channels, which you've talked a little bit about, and also currencies. What changes might we see in those areas?
1: The channel is really interesting when you think about people traditionally paid, always in-person We're seeing an explosion in e-commerce growth. Part of that was COVID. Part of that was just natural transition. I think everyone acknowledges Amazon was a a big winner coming out of COVID. Digital is going to continue to grow. And the way people pay for e-commerce type of transactions is going to continue to evolve, make it more frictionless and easier and simple for the consumer. And you think about in-app payments, not having to continually enter in your name and address and your card details anytime you want to make an in-app purchase. When you think about some of the things that Apple Pay can do if you're using an app to buy, I don't know, something from Macy's or Amazon or Walmart that supports Apple Pay, you just click the Apple Pay button confirms you want to send it to this address using this card and it goes out to you. I think there's going to be more and more cases like that for digital payments. When you think about what the major networks have done with secure remote commerce and just a single payment button for any type of payment card you might have greatly simplifies the experience. Also has significant implications for issuers that are fighting for top of wallet status. On the currency piece, what is getting a lot of attention right now is, is crypto, how consumers can buy, sell, and use crypto for various payment activities. And I think that's relatively new. It's something... I think the card networks historically approached with caution, but now has has just exploded in looking at how different entities are supporting crypto purchases more broadly.
0: Are there any other payment trends that we should anticipate for the rest of 2021?
1: Absolutely. What, I, what we haven't covered yet, it's getting a lot of attention is installment payments. Historically, there were specialist providers of installment payments or sales finance type of payment solutions. Now there are various fintechs getting into the space. They call it buy now, pay later, but Klarna uh, has gotten a lot of attention. They're based in Europe, but have recently entered the United States. Uh, A firm has been around for a while. Now the various card networks, Visa and MasterCard, are supporting installment payments and Right now, it's a little bit unclear whether that cannibalizes traditional payment card activity or whether that offers incremental growth. Certainly, to the extent there's cannibalization, issuers need to think through what that means, the economic streams associated with uh, installment or buy now, pay later type of transaction. The other piece that has grown much faster, no pun intended, is is faster payments. Zelle, I think, was. A game-changer in a lot of ways for certain cardholders or clients of banks and credit unions that wanted a better way to pay, a more secure way to pay, and a faster way to pay. Venmo, I think, has a very attractive solution and is very popular among the millennial crowd for various reasons, but it's a staged wallet. And if you want to make a payment faster, have it get into your bank account, solutions like Zelle and others are growing rapidly We're seeing that as some of the the fastest growing transactions for many of our clients. And when you think about other solutions like RTP and and FedNow, I think the future of payments is certainly digitizing P2P type transactions or other type of transactions that were typically cash and check and and, and not digital. And that will, I think at some point, represent the, the majority of digital payment transactions
0: the big thing that comes to mind is the importance of adaptability and being able to adapt to new consumer expectations quickly. So in this environment where things are changing so quickly and there are going to be some challenges to compete with other issuers and other institutions in the market. How can credit unions effectively navigate these changes and deliver on some of those new consumer needs?
1: I think in this environment, it's, it's all about adaptability and flexibility. Part of that It has to do with the platforms and ecosystems, credit unions choose. And when thinking about a major platform investment, be it a a core platform, a digital platform, a, a card processing platform, understanding the tech stack, how nimble it is, how readily it can incorporate new technology or be tailored to do so is extremely important. Beyond that, I do really think the ability to quickly adapt has to do a lot with culture of the credit union. It's not just about the platform, although that's very important. It's about all of the processes and the procedures and the people and how that is enabled. If you think about what a typical financial institution has to do to just to get a new project off the ground with business casing and approvals and, and finance committees and compliance overviews before the project even starts... It really hinders time to market. So thinking about how credit unions can be more agile in getting projects off the ground, in learning what's out there in the market, what their members are looking for, and, and how to quickly pivot, I think involves a, a cultural shift more so than anything on the technology side.
0: It's going to be so crucial for credit unions to be able to analyze these ongoing changes and trends, and moreover, identify actionable insights from what they learn. How do you suggest credit unions stay up to date with changes to payment trends?
1: I think the piece about being adaptable and flexible and, and that being a cultural shift also applies to this. Credit unions need to create a culture of learning and, and understanding and, and innovating, and that involves doing things differently than they historically have. They need to embed things in their daily activity that really fosters innovation and learning, which could be reading from various uh, industry publications, attending conferences, participating in different user groups, either at the industry level or from any of their vendors, and studying their own data. Credit unions have a lot of data, whether they realize it or not. Historically, they haven't been... As great at analyzing that and reviewing it some larger banks and I think that's going to need to change and I think some of the technologies around intelligent automation will make that much easier for credit unions to get their hands on and I think that the last piece would be doing their own primary research credit unions have a lot of members they are a great source of data and can be surveyed to learn what their expectations are what they're looking for, and and how their needs are being fulfilled.
0: Sometimes the best way to stay on top of some of this stuff is to work with an outside partner, like an industry consultant, who can help guide credit unions through some of what they might expect. If they choose to look into partnering with a consultant – How should they go about selecting one that's right for them? What criteria should they be looking for?
1: Well, I'd say before going out in search of a consultant, they need to understand what their objectives are. And if they don't have a good understanding of those objectives, their search for an advisor may not generate the outcome they're looking for, but they should be looking for someone with experience, someone who's done this over and over again, you know, not just once or twice, but someone who, who specializes in this field, who has a, a deep team that can meet their needs and has been doing this for years.
0: Thanks for listening to the Kuna News podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. This podcast is sponsored by Strategic Resource Management. To learn more about how SRM helps credit unions add value to their bottom lines, visit srmcorp.com.